the scenes with Smashville's favorite team. This is the Preds Official Podcast with Darren McFarland and Kara Hammer. Now on 102.5 and 106.3 The Game and NashvillePredators.com. First episode in the month of February. Welcome into the Predators Official Podcast. Darren McFarland, Kara Hammer. Another loaded show for you. We're going to head down to Sunrise, Florida and catch up with Emma Lingen. I don't know if she's in South Beach. I don't know what she's up to. There's a lot of things to do in South Florida. We're also going to talk with Kevin Allen, who has been covering the league for a very long time uh, and can put perspective on the league as a whole. As we sit here today, uh, a really cool article he did back in the day on then-Predators player Jordan Tutu. Um, We'll get into all things NHL with Kevin Allen. Uh, in just a bit. But right now, let's head down to Sunrise, Florida. Emma Lincoln is covering the NHL All-Star Game. It is All-Star Weekend as we sit here on this Friday. She has got uh, she probably drew the short straw, Kara, to cover this down in Florida as we sit here today, and it's like, what, 38 degrees in Nashville? You're, you've got a foot of snow at your window, so no snow where Emma is. Emma, how you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm almost hesitant to tell you what the weather's like here right now. <laughs> well, I set it up for disappointment, so go on and rub our faces in it. What is it? 90 degrees? What is it? 85? What is it? It is 81 and sunny at the moment, okay. so it's, uh, it's pretty great. It was sleeting when I left Nashville yesterday morning, so uh, I will take this over that any day. <laughs> So I just said, yeah, yeah, we all would sign up for that. Uh, and thanks for the visual. At least we can visualize, you know, what it would be like to have 81 and sunny right now. We'll get there soon enough. But mm-hmm. we're sitting here on this Friday. Uh, let's just kind of go through the schedule for this weekend because the festivities start tonight. Yeah, so it's really been almost – a a week long thing. I mean, festivities started before I even got here. I got here uh, yesterday, Thursday for media day with all of the players uh, and the coaches as well. Um, But they've done some stuff already. I know there's a a week long kind of beach festival they've had. That's like a fan fest. They've had um, some of the skills competition have been uh, pre-recorded because they were done outdoors. So there was like a dunk tank thing and a, um, something on a golf course. And so the festivities have been going on. I think most of the players got here yesterday, like I said, as did I. But the real kind of the big ticket events start tonight, as you said. So we've got the skills challenge tonight and then the game tomorrow. It is, it's a fun weekend, and I feel bad for UC Soros because, yes, he's at the All-Star game. He's been named an All-Star, well-deserved. But, like, this is not a goalie-friendly game <laughs> that we're going to see <laughs> this weekend. It is not. There's no hitting. Uh, there's going to be probably lots of goals. And I know they're trying to – this new format that started in Nashville when Nashville hosted the All-Star game. Uh, it has helped for sure, but – Overall, still, it is not a fun game for goaltenders. No, and I think they might be trying to, you know, they are trying something different with the skills challenge this year for goaltenders instead of doing the 
most saves. They're doing a, a tandem challenge, which I know we've talked about. There's going to be a, a shooting goalie and an in-net goalie, um, which might, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I will be very interested to see how that goes. Um, obviously, UC Saros will be participating in that. Um, we don't know if they're going to be who is going to be the shooter and who's going to be in net, but should be fun. I, uh, I did ask juice yesterday when he got here, how his shot was doing, like, how is his shot? What does he think? And he goes, well, it's accurate. I don't know if it's uh if it's very hard, but it should be accurate. And he actually talked about when he was injured at the end of last season, that he couldn't do a whole lot as far as side to side movement. So he actually got some practice shooting the puck. So that might end up uh, working to his advantage here tonight. So we'll see. Well, Emma, we've been following you, you know, as you're, as you journeyed down to the warmer weather and we know you've been uh, catching up with some other players, asking questions about UC Soros. I mean, what have you taken away so far of people around the league talking about, you know, Nashville's netminder? You know, it was interesting. I did talk to several players yesterday about UC and with with a focus on the other Central Division players uh, because they're obviously the ones who face him the most. And I did ask them, you know, what what makes him so hard to score against? And there was two recurring themes. Number one was his size or lack thereof. Um, and number two was how he has this ability to just kind of explode out of nowhere. I think both Jason Robertson from Dallas and uh, Josh Morrissey from Winnipeg both said similar things to me. They were talking about how, you know, they'll be driving towards the net. It looks like an open net. And all of a sudden you see, will just pop out of nowhere and, and just deflect these shots. And they, have all commented on how unique that is. And there isn't really another goaltender with that kind of ability. You know, I also talked to uh, Connor Hellebuck, the goaltender for Winnipeg. And, you know, he, I mean, talk about size. He and UC could not be any different, any more different in that regard. Uh, he's huge. Um, so he plays a very different style, but obviously still an all-star and still a great goaltender. But he had nothing but great things to say about Juice, too. So really just his athleticism and, and you know, his explosive ability there is uh, what seems to be the most impressive thing for all these other players. I think one of my favorite things about the all-star game and, you know, this weekend is kind of a little bit like the Super Bowl. Like you go, it's serious. You can ask serious questions, but also there's a side of it where you can get to know the players on a, you know, more on a personal level. I was seeing some things where people were asking the players if they listen to Taylor Swift and if they're Swifties. I mean, what else can you tell us about what's been going on down there that's maybe not so much hockey related? Yeah, I did hear some interesting questions being asked yesterday at Media Day. There was the Taylor Swift one. Someone was going around asking all the players uh, if they could spell Kachuk. Um, and it was a little surprising. It's a little surprising, a little concerning how many of them got it wrong. Um, I will say uh, UC actually got it right, so, so that's good for him. But uh, yeah, there's, you know, they were talking about their golf game and, you know, different kinds of things. They were talking about who does the bet, who is the best chirper in the NHL. Um, you know, they 
We'll see today, we, before the skills challenge, we have the, the red carpet event, which is actually on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. And players have been encouraged to dress in, you know, their kind of personal style, not necessarily dressed in suits and ties, but, you know, dressed in a way that will kind of showcase their their own style. So I'm sure we'll get some interesting looks there, too. Um so yeah, it's it's been fun kind of just seeing everyone like just interacting with each other and and really kind of showing their personalities. It's been nice to see. What did Connor Hellebuck have to say? I'm I'm curious about that because here's a guy that's up for the Vezina year in and year out too. He's been playing at a high level just like UC Soros over the years. They play in the same division. What what did Hellebuck have to say about Soros? So Hellebuck was, I actually talked to him for a while yesterday, and he said one of the things that struck him about Soros was how much, you know, each year he seems to keep getting better and better. He's never really plateaued at any point. He just kind of keeps that high compete level. And the other thing that he said that I took away from that conversation was how much he looks forward to playing against Nashville because he loves those elite goaltending battles. And you always know that's what you're going to get if you have Saros in net. And so I thought that was really cool to see. And and also talking to Josh Morrissey from Winnipeg, you know, talking about how close the, the couple of games they've had already against Nashville this season have been so close. And they haven't been those, like, offensive slugfests at all they have been goaltending battles and and you know if you talk to the goaltenders themselves they they thrive on that they love those kinds of battles so it was interesting to get that perspective too what are you looking forward to the most this weekend um i'm really you know this is my first nhl all-star event so i'm really just kind of trying to drink it all in. I think, you know, I am looking forward to the skills challenge tonight. That's always, you know, in the past, having watched these events on TV, I would always look more forward to the the skills challenge than the actual game. I'll be interested to see how this whole tendy tandem thing works out. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it'll be really cool. And just, I mean, it's just a great experience to be able to get truly the best of the best in the league, you know, all together under one roof and and see it live. I mean, that it really doesn't get much better than that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The Preds have tweeted out pictures of some of the players, you know, hanging out together during this long break that they've had. Karen and I were kind of laughing uh, off air, like, they're together all the time. Yeah, but you're around them too. On these, like you, everybody's around everybody all the time. We just thought it was kind of funny, like that. You know, you would think that they would do just the opposite, right? During a break, everybody would take a break from everybody. No, apparently <laughs> they're going to go somewhere warm together. Yeah, even uh, even Juice before he got here, he came straight to Florida from uh, Mexico, and he was there with Kevin Lankinen too. So it's you know they they can't be apart from each other. I often kind of joke, but it's really not a joke that I spend more time with these guys than I do with my own family. So I guess if you kind of look at it that way, it's like going on a family vacation. So. Um, it's been, you know, it's good. It's good to see them kind of kind of getting away and having fun. I know a lot of them 
are already back now in Nashville, kind of getting ready for next week. So it's good. But yeah, it it is kind of funny how they just kind of always seem to be together. So just for people who don't know, because I think that this is one thing that's a little bit different as we wrap this up and get to Kevin Allen here in just a moment. It, you, it was the skills competition was Saturday, Saturday night, Saturday late afternoon, early evening when it was here. And then the, the all-star game, of course, was on Sunday. And that's been kind of the traditional schedule. But the skills competition is tonight. It's going to be on ESPN and ESPN Plus. And then the all-star game is tomorrow afternoon, correct? And that's going to be on ABC? Correct. I believe it's at 3 p.m. Uh, but That's right, 3 check. Eastern. two So yes. 2 o'clock our time, 3 o'clock Eastern. And so it's going to be tomorrow afternoon on ABC. So that is a little bit different than the traditional way that they always did it on Saturday and then Sunday. This year it'll be on Friday and then Saturday afternoon. Yes, and it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, got some new wrinkles this year. You've got Bo Horvat, who was just traded to the Islanders, but he will be playing on Team Pacific tomorrow, so that'll mm. be uh, interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be great to see, and uh, would encourage everyone to to tune in. You know, and from everything, you know, just being on the ground here, you can tell how much the league has put into this event, and so I'm sure that the broadcast is going to be really special as well. No doubt about it, and you can follow Emma down there in Sunrise, Florida, uh, at Emma underscore Lincoln at Preds NHL. Uh, see the pictures, see things going on around All-Star Weekend. She's already been tweeting out stuff about UC Soros and things going on that we just talked about here on this podcast. Emma, soak it up, enjoy it, and we'll talk to you when you get back to Nashville. All right. Thank you, guys. That is Emma Lincoln, Predators beat reporter down in Sunrise, Florida, around the NHL All-Star Game. When we come back, we'll catch up with Kevin Allen. He's been covering the league for a long time. We had a good, we'll have a good talk with him, and we'll do that next here on the Predators Official Podcast. Back here on the Predators Official Podcast, Darren McFarland and Kara Hammer with you. And we said at the beginning, we'll catch up with Kevin Allen, of course, uh, national columnist for Hockey Buzz and the beat writer for the Detroit Red Wings. He has covered the league for a very long time. He was at USA Today for almost 35 years covering the National Hockey League. And he now joins us on the POP where it is very cold up north. Kevin, thanks for doing this. I'm pretty sure you're doing this indoors, which is a smart move. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, we had had a very much a mild winter in Michigan, uh, you know, prior to this. We hadn't had too much snow, but we've gotten, you know, the snow covering on the ground now. And I have a, a lake house in uh, western Michigan that uh, has probably twice as much snow as we have here because I, we have kind of the lake effect off Lake Michigan um, there. So, um, but uh, it's been cold, but, you know. I've, I've been in Michigan for most of my life, so I'm very accustomed to cold weather. Yeah, no doubt about it. We caught up with Emma Lingen, who is the uh, beat reporter for the Preds, and she is not cold. She's down in Sunrise, uh, Florida. Yeah. We're around the NHL All-Star game. And I just want to start there because, Kevin, I just we've had it here. It was an unbelievable experience when Nashville hosted the NHL All-Star game. In fact, it was the first year – of the new format and we were all curious to see how it would play out 
the Pro Bowl this weekend. It looks like the, the National Football League has kind of just gone away from the Pro Bowl. And now they're just doing, you know, nobody was tackling and nobody wanted to do anything. So they just, they're just trying. I don't know. It seems like that thing is on life support or they're making all kinds of changes. How would you compare the NHL All-Star game with this new format sitting here going into this weekend as opposed to – I feel like all the leagues are trying to figure out how to make it better, right? Yeah, I would say it's similar to that, to, to be honest with you. I mean, I think we just have to change the way we view All-Star games. Like, it's not really the All-Star game is as much as it is it's the annual convention where we all get together in the hockey world – um, it's the one time where you have, you know, the top players in the league, you know, talk to the media. Um, we get to ask them about all the issues that are going on in the league. You know, their opinions get out there. Uh, there's usually some kind of theme that, you know, everybody is on uh, uh, that we, we get to. And for the people who are see it in arena, it's still a good experience. It's, you know, kind of up close and personal. And you actually get to get a sense of the personalities of the players, because in that type of environment where the competition level isn't that intense, you know, you get to see, you know, they'll try things they don't try before and you get to sort of see the skill level um, that you don't see. So I think we just have to kind of accept the fact that, you know, when I first started covering the league, you know, uh, all-star games were competitive. They were four to three, six to five uh, and, you know, guys should go win, but you know, over time, players as they started to make more money realized, you know, we're risking a lot by playing at a high level. And so we're just never going to be able to get back there. And, you know, the NFL, I think is fine to reach that to the point where, you know, you got to play flag football because you can't risk a career ending injury and the same is true in an all-star game. So um, the only thing that I've suggested over time, if we could get back to international competition, we might be able to do some, but you still have the same problem. Like if you could do, and we wouldn't now because of the war in Ukraine, but before I suggest maybe KHL all-star teams versus an NHL all-star team, I think that would be uh, entertaining. Uh, But again, you have the same problem. You wouldn't want to be a contending team in the NHL and lose a guy in the all-star game. And of course we wouldn't do that now because of the uh, issues in Ukraine, but uh, you know, that's the only way I could see them perhaps finding a, a, a formula that was competitive and we could figure out a way. You know, I remember uh, there was some suggestion years ago that maybe we could develop sort of a Ryder Cup type, you know, where we have um, uh, and we had that before. But I mean, a Ryder Cup in terms of getting players from Europe on European teams to play against uh, NHL teams. So um, but I, you know, I just don't think they want to do that. I think. They accept the fact in the league office that it's just our annual convention. Um, and, you know, fans complain about it a little bit. But, you know, as you just pointed out, when it was in Nashville, I think the people who were there had a really good time. Oh, yeah, it was a blast. Uh, I'm yeah. We're happy for UC Soros, but, you know, with no hitting and everything that goes on in this all-star game, yeah. it's not a fun event for goalies. No, no, no not at all. Not, not at all. And, uh, but, you know, I, I do appreciate that NHL players seem to sort of get that um, it's a celebration of the game. And most of them, and I'm going to say most because not all, um, appreciate the honor. Um, you know, I saw Kevin Hayes as a first-time all-star from – the Philadelphia Flyers, and, you know, he's just thrilled, he said, to be a part of it. And in Detroit here, we have Dylan Larkin, good guy, and he has said again, 
thrilled to represent, you know, the Red Wings. Um, not, you know, not everybody sees it that way. I've always been appreciative of the fact, uh, although one year he didn't come and he had to pay a, a one-game suspension for it. Alex Ovechkin shows up, you know, comes to entertain, has done some funny things through the years. Uh, said this time coming in that, he, you know, he hoped to have a beer with Sidney Crosby, which, you know, created some headlines. You know, Alex Ovechkin gets it. We had Barry Trotz on here not that long ago on the Predators official podcast, Kevin, and we were talking about Alex Ovechkin breaking Wayne Gretzky's record. I mean, right? This we we all have the same conversation. This conversation 10, 15, 20 years ago, everybody's like, no one's ever gonna beat Wayne Gretzky. But now we're all sitting here in 2023 going, Yeah, Alex Ovechkin is gonna be the leading scorer in NHL history. How did we get to this point? Well, you know, for one thing, and I, I have said this consistently for probably about the last decade, um, I think we're going to appreciate Ovechkin more after he's retired. Um, and I don't know why we haven't uh, sort of embraced him the way uh, that, you know, we would, um, you know, if he was a different player. I'm not sure, you know, is it because he's Russian? I, you know, I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, you know, we recognize that he's a really good player, but I don't think we really celebrate his greatness like we probably should. Like, it's remarkable. Like, you're absolutely right. Wayne Gretzky's record was one that was at the top of the list. It's it's kind of like, you know, the 500-some games that Glenn Hall played in a row in goal. Like, that's never going to be broken. Well, that's how we felt about that record. But Ovechkin has done it by the string of 50-plus goal seasons in an era – when goal scoring was very difficult. Like, you know, this was the uh, time when goal scoring, now it's gone up the last couple of years, but prior to that, you know, goal scoring, you know, was uh, was down. You know, we talked about how hard it is to score goals. We were going to make the nets bigger. We reduced the, you know, goaltending, the size of goaltending equipment. What can we do? We're all panicking. Meanwhile, Ovechkin's scoring 50 every year. And that's how he's ended up uh, – uh, getting to the point where he clearly, you know, barring catastrophic injury, is going to pass. I mean, he's still, what, 37 years old and still scoring goals like he's in the prime of his career. So it's very, very impressive. Um, you know, I remember talking to Mark andre Fleury, must have been a half dozen years ago, maybe longer, uh, when he said the amazing thing about Ovechkin is you know where he's going to set up. You've seen that shot many times before. I'm ready for it. I know what it's all about, and it still just whistles past my ear. Uh, you know, he just has a way. It's the combination of the release, um, the velocity, the shot, uh, the, you know, the the timing, the feel for it, uh, knowing the goalies. Um, you know, he's got it all down. You know, he works at his craft. And, you know, this is not a guy that's a perimeter player, and yet he can beat you from the perimeter. But, you know, he mixes it up. You know, he's a heavy hitter. Um, he has a lot of shots and a lot of hits. Um, so this is a guy that's uh, not just one-dimensional. Uh, so uh, he's uh, he's deserving of all the accolades he'll get when he passes Gretzky. But I do think, you know, 10 years from now, we'll be telling folks, man, you know, we saw Ovechkin like he was a marvel. We talk about, you know, how the game was and how it's changed to today. And obviously covering the Red Wings, you know the rivalry that used to happen with the Predators, obviously – most notable, the Red Wings and the Avalanche. But do you feel like in today's game, is that 
is that rivalry still there amongst any of the teams? I mean, I think maybe Battle of Alberta, but is that what the league is missing? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think the rivalries do exist, but not at the level. I think, and you were hit upon that. Um, you know, I, there's still a bunch of older fans who certainly remember the days when Detroit, you know, played Colorado. You know, the Boston-Montreal rivalry is still, you know, uh, pretty much uh, uh, still there. But again, not as intense. Uh, and I think that comes from, you know, when you go to 32 teams, you just don't play. Uh, your rivals enough um, and you want to play everybody. You want to get a sense like, uh, you know, people would say, well, do, do we want to play see the Seattle Kraken? Well, yeah, you do want to see the Seattle Kraken because they got a cool name. Uh, they're actually a pretty good team this year, better than anyone uh, anticipated. So um, I, I found it curious uh, during the lockout that, that cost us the season in 2004, um, the NHL took advantage of that year off to do an intense survey of fans. And when they came back, they reemphasized division rivalries because that's what the survey told them. Fans said, we like the division rivalries. Well, as soon as they did that, people complained. We don't want to see the same teams over and over again. Um, so they, you know, they felt sort of betrayed by the, the survey, and we, we're still complaining about that. You know, a lot of people want to change the the playoff format uh, from divisional setup. You know, you, people don't like the fact that, you know, Toronto's had a great season, and yet they're going to have to play Tampa Bay in the first round. That, you know, there should be a re-ranking in each conference of one to eight. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why we've been able to maintain the rivalries as long as we have is, is that we do – have those divisional rivalries that we see every year in the playoffs, whether we like it or not. I think I read an article that they were talking about maybe expanding this, maybe, you know, adding two extra games to the schedule and having closer matchups. Do you feel like, you know, that might help a little bit? Um, I don't know that they're going to get the 84 game season past the players association. You know, that's, um, uh, uh, you, you don't get anything now in professional sports without an intense negotiation. And I think they'd have to give up too much to get two more games out of the players. So I'm not sure we're going to get that. What I would like to see, um, and this puts me in opposition to Gary Bettman, who's totally against this, but I would like to see us go to a baseball style um, uh, rat tail playoff uh, uh, format where, you know, you have the, and I think we could start out slow. We could have the nine and the eight playing a one game playoff hmm. uh, in each conference to, to get in. And, and ultimately we could go to 10. Now, Gary Bettman is totally against this and has been for many years. And he and I have sat and debated this one time for about 45 minutes. He and I just <laughs> sat down talking about it. And I think he sees the kind of merits of it. Um, it's so exciting in baseball and now they, they no longer have the one game, but um, you know, I, I just think it's incredible. And you could charge whatever you want in, term, in terms of revenue. Like if it's one game, you know, if you're the eighth place team and you're hosting a, the, the game against the ninth, I mean, you could make a $200 average price per ticket. People would show up just because, you know, winner take all. It's like a game seven you know, without playing the first six. So I would like to see that. And I think that you build some rivalries that way as well. And I think it would be good for the game. You know, right, right now we're at the point we used to it used to be a running joke that if you had a, dri a valid driver's license, you could get into the NHL playoffs. Well, now half the teams don't make it. 
So, you know, what's wrong with going to, you know, 18 teams making it or uh, at least playing at least one game or even 20 teams if we go to, you know, the uh, uh, seven, eight, nine, and 10 teams sort of playing off in a, you know, best of two, three or, or even a single game to try to get in those bottom playoff spots. I, I'm with you, Kevin. Um, Kara, I don't know how you feel about it, but today's mentality with really fans and the players, it's not about more regular season games. We're, it's it's about playoffs. I mean, you're seeing this in college football. They're going to go to a 12-team playoff system. You brought up baseball, Kevin. NBA has done the same thing with this one game. One game has worked, or even a three games. You can you can stagger it. Baseball's doing three games, five games, seven games. You can stagger it, but fans want more playoffs. I think because you hear players all the time, we're just waiting for the playoffs. And you got load yeah. management issues in the NBA, so they definitely don't need to be adding regular season games because all teams are doing is just gearing up for playoffs. And quite frankly, fans want it too. That's where they're like, okay, now I'm really engaged. It's the playoffs. Yeah. And I don't buy the argument that it renders uh, the regular season nah, to be uh, unimportant. Uh, and, you know, like they said, you know, you play 82 games and you have one game. Well, it's no different if you the final game 82 decides who yep. gets in the playoffs as game 83. It's exactly the same. Right. And here, here's the thing. If you don't want to put me in that position where one game thinks, then make sure you finish in the top six because, you know, that's what it's all about. And you pay a price. You know, if you if you can't get in that top six, then you're going to have to play the extra game. You know what you're getting. But, you know, I guarantee you, if you get in a position to play that game, you'll be thrilled just to get there on some season. So I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's really this is about fans. And here's one of the great ironies, though. You know, one of the criticisms of Gary Bettman, um, is that um, a lot of his decisions have been about growing the revenue of the sport, that he's made owners um, richer than they were. The value of the franchise has gone up. But in this instance, Gary Bettman is the impediment, and he's standing on, in his mind, principle, because he knows that would increase revenue. Like he could increase revenue simply by adding another layer to the playoffs, but he says no. And the reason he says no and he's adamant about this. Like he's, he's, uh, you know, he's very sincere about this. He thinks the playoff format as it is now is just so good that he doesn't want to mess with it. And uh, you know, it, it's it's a principled position from his perspective uh, that he does. You know, he doesn't care about the extra money. He does sixteen teams, four rounds, best of seven, overtimes. It's so good. I don't want to mess with it. And, uh, you know, I respect him for that. I yeah. just disagree. Yeah. <laughs> so We're speaking with Kevin Allen, national columnist for Hockey Buzz and Detroit Red Wings, beat writer for Detroit Hockey Now. He's covered the league for a long, long time, and, and that's where I want to go since we're talking about some of these things. Commissioner Bettman has been in office for a very long time. You've been covering the league the whole time he's been the commissioner Sitting here today in early 2023, how would you say the state of the league is? As you mentioned, there's two new expansion teams. We've got Vegas and now the Seattle Kraken. Overall, how would you assess the league as we sit here today? 
Well, I would say, you know, when you get your wireless uh, hookup and it says, you know, weak, moderate, or strong, I'd say we're strong. Like, I think it's a real strong signal that we have here from the league. And, you know, I base it on as much on improvement as everything. You know, when Gary Bettman took over, uh, this league was still at a time when uh, companies were, were reluctant to buy sponsorships, were reluctant to advertise. You know, it was kind of perceived as sort of a, uh, a league with cartoon violence, to, too much fighting. You know, is it, you know, is it wrestling or is it hockey, the Rodney Dangerfield joke? And Gary Bettman, what he did most of all, First of all, he opened up new vistas by taking it into non-traditional markets, num- number one. But he also has changed the image from that, you know, fighting league um, to a very professionally run organization. Um, he enhanced the marketing of the league. Um, he's done a really good job of, of making sure by creating events like the Outdoor Classic, you know, the Winter Classics uh um, and that, you know, that sponsors wanted to be a part of it. And uh, they've turned all of their events, all-star games, um, Stanley Cup finals, drafts, into just major events, uh, major parties. And um, it's sort of enhanced the image of the game as well. I think if there was one criticism I've had, they still have not uh, perfected how to um, promote their stars. Like the NBA is still much better. Um, at, you know, in the NBA, you can say, uh, you know, players names and everybody kind of, you know, knows what's going on. We don't, we don't have those players in the, in the NHL yet. We haven't done a good job of doing that, but, um, you know, Batman, you know, we now get players out of, uh, so many States that we never would have thought possible four years ago. Um, you know, I use this line a lot, but it's true. In 1969, the uh, the United States sent more men to the moon um, than than they sent players to the National Hockey League. There were only five American-born players that made it to the league last year, and of course, six um, made lunar orbits. So uh, we've come a long way from there. You know, the the American population in the league is pushing toward 30 percent. I think it's in the high 20s uh, uh, this season. So. Uh, and that's come from the fact that we're taking players out of, you know, California and we're taking them out of Texas. We're taking them out of Florida. And those are all because when you put a team there, um, you end up with a lot of youth hockey programs and suddenly you have a better you know, feeder system. So they've gone more international uh, under Gary Bettman. I think he's just made it much, much more professional and, and, and just sort of expanded the footprint. Still a long way to go but he's expanded the footprint of the National Hockey League. Well, Kevin, I want to ask you um, about the team this year, the Predators. And I know two years ago you talked about them in the second half of the season, mentioned that they needed to make some serious changes. Obviously, they've added pieces, you know, bringing in Ryan McDonough and and signing Philip Forsberg to an eight-year contract. But I'm curious, where do you see the team now this season as they head into the second half? Well, actually, they've, they've done, performed better than I thought they would. Um, they've done, uh, you know, they've hung in there. Uh, uh, that's the expression I will use. Um, I think a lot of that has been the fact that uh, their goaltending has been strong and they're winning by goaltending. But, the, you know, Harry Sinden, when he was general manager of Boss Bruins, always used to tell me, hey, you know, the goalie's part of our team, too. You know, it's not a separate deal. You 
know, when we talk about the team winning, the goaltender's part of it. So, uh, you know, Saros has, uh, you know, uh, he faced 64 shots that one night. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, gotten the job done. Um, you know, they still have s- some of the same problems they had two years ago. Um, you know, you've got guys that probably aren't living up to their contract amounts. Uh, this year, I think some of the top players have not had good season. They've had younger players kind of step up. They're, they're a little bit stuck on the treadmill, as I like to call it, where you're not bad enough to get those great draft picks and you're not good enough to really contend for the championship. I think that's where the predators are right now. It's hard to get out of. Uh, it really is like you almost have to have a disastrous season and then start getting it. But you know, they're middle ground. I, you know, I looked this morning in anticipation of this interview to see if I was right. And, you know, they're 20th in the league overall. Um, and even though they're tied for that final wildcard spot, you know, that's probably not where David Poyle wants them to be. He's a pretty competitive guy. So, um, you know, they won three in a row. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a shot that they can win the playoffs because that the West has been really weird uh, this season. Like, uh, you know, Calgary hasn't been as good as people anticipated. Uh, even the Kings that, that now seem okay, they had some struggles for a while. Nobody expected Seattle to be where it is. Um, Vegas has started out strong, but now all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're leaking oil a little bit and, uh, you know, now stone is injured. So, uh, I think the West is still yet to be determined. I think, uh, uh, because they, I think they got a shot. I think they have, uh, uh, a decent shot to make the playoffs. I do. I mean, the, you know, even Colorado, you look, Colorado won the cup. We know what their lineup looks like. And that when you look at their scoring numbers, you're going, what? You know, they shouldn't be down in the 20s. Uh, you know, they, that's not – and I get it. You know, Landeskog's still out. McKinnon was injured. They had a lot of injuries. But, you know, that's part of the game. You know, you got to overcome that. And, uh, you know, even since uh, McKinnon has been back, um, you know, they're still not as dynamic as they were last season. Well, since we've been on the All-Star break, Darren hasn't had a chance to be down in the Lexus Lounge no. at Bridgestone Arena to pick up all it. the scoops around the league. This is where he <laughs> finds his stories. So, Kevin, I'm curious if you heard, I mean, do we think any trades are going to happen? I mean, do you have any insider knowledge here? Well, I mean, around the league, there's been a lot of talk. I mean, in the last uh, few days, it's, uh, you know, one of the Detroit Red Wings that I covered, Dylan Larkin, has been in the news simply because – um, their story came out that the Boston Bruins, having lost the Bull Horvat sweepstakes, are now interested in Larkin. And, you know, what makes that interesting is there's been no evidence, at least not from my reporting perspective, that the Red Wings are going to trade him. Now, he's still unsigned. We're four months into the season. He'll be a UFA in the summer and what we've sort of decided i think over the last two or three years even though david poyle went against this is when you got a free agent you can't sign them you got to trade them because you know we want to say yeah you get cap space back but often that isn't enough like you want to get something back plus your cap space and you know uh david poyle put the dice in his hands last year he rolled them with forsberg and it came out all right but it doesn't always happen that I mean, Johnny Goudreau did not stay with the Calgary Flames. So everyone's sort of anxious to see what Dylan Larkin, there will be a long line of people, of teams that will be interested in Larkin. Um, you know, Carolina 
certainly Boston, maybe Los Angeles. Um, there'll be a lot of teams interested in Dylan Larkin. Everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen with Kane and uh, Taves. Uh, I think both of those guys will be traded uh, as well. Um, you know, Klingberg is going to go somewhere, the Anaheim Ducks um, player. You know, whether David Poyle will do anything, I don't know. He doesn't have much cap space left, you know. So he's not a lot he's going to do. He, You know, I think he'd be low to give away draft picks to a third team to get him some cap space. So it is going to be interesting to see what, what the Predators do. I don't know why Boston would do anything. They're 17 points ahead of the top team in the West. Just think yeah. about that. I mean, the well, best team in the West, they are 17 points better than them. Jeez. I, I'll just make one one give you one sentence to explain why they're going to do it. Patrice Bergeron is thirty seven, yeah. and David Krejci is thirty six. Yeah. Like the door is open just a little now, and uh, I think they want to go for it, and that's why I think they looked hard at Bo Horvat. Uh, and to be honest, you know, I think they could they had a shot that, that what it came down to is the Canucks told teams, look, we want the earliest first round pick in 2023 we could get and the 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 boston bruins could do nothing about that they're going to pick near the bottom of the you know first round and of course the islanders are going to pick somewhere near the middle and even at protected in the first 12 picks like it was you know if you're 13th this year that's still a pretty good pick let's end on this kevin early on in this franchise's history it was a big deal when you did a huge story in the USA Today on a Predators player. You went up to none of it, which is essentially the North Pole, and you <laughs> hung around with Jordan Tutu, who was a fan favorite here in Nashville. But that was a big deal in the time of in the timeline of the history of this franchise in this market. And then we all know it's well documented. I, I got to know Jordan Tutu still to this day. Great relationship with Jordan Tutu. His story, if you'd have told me that when he was playing, that we would be talking about him in the light that we would be today, I would say I love him, but, man, I would have serious doubts about that. He has completely changed his life around and the sobriety and everything. It's an amazing story, but take us back to – let's end on going back and and going to where he was from and – how that all came about writing this huge article in the USA Today, which was a, a prominent paper in this country. Yeah, I mean, I, I always list that story as one of the highlights of my career. Um, you know, I covered 10 Olympic Games and I've covered Super Bowls and World Series and NBA Finals and NCAA Final Fours. I've covered everything there is to cover Um in sports, but, you know, going up there and uh, writing about this kid and learning about his life and how he got to the NHL, it it was such a remarkable experience. I mean, I've never, until you go up and see, um, you know, there's a lot of poverty up there and, uh, you know, we are accustomed, uh, especially in the media to, and, and athletes are to having very sophisticated training apparatus personal trainers. And when I went up there to see him, his idea of training was to fill up five gallon buckets um, full of sand and then running over the tundra with his, um, one of his uh, nieces or cousins uh, uh, on his back. And that's how he trained. Uh, You know, he just ran over the tundra carrying these buckets of 
of sand with someone on his back. I thought you were going to say um, he would wrestle polar bears or something like that. No, although we did have a polar bear experience. Uh, uh, I went uh, uh, seal hunting with uh, uh, Jordan, and uh, I, I tell this all the time, like, I am the least likely person in the history of mankind to go seal hunting. <laughs> you know, I, I just can't think of anybody you could meet who is less likely <laughs> to go seal hunting. But by the end, when I was out there with Jordan on this boat, I was rooting against the seals. Um, like I, you know, it was like they were taunting us, you know, their little heads would come up and then they dive under the water. And, you know, I don't know if you know how you seal hunt, you hunt, you seal hunt with 22 caliber rifles. You know, that's how you do it. Uh, we didn't get any seals that day. And, you know, it was just a crazy experience, but we end up on an Island and you're out in the middle of Hudson Bay. You might as well be in the middle of the ocean. You can't see land, you know, and you're out there, you're on a, a like a, uh, with the Johnson 75 horsepower engine on a, a 10 foot boat, no life preservers, no oars, no radio, you know, you're just out there. I remember my photographers with it that said, you know, I brought one, the second day said I brought my satellite phone. We can at least say goodbye to our wives um, because he just thought, you know, we're just not going to survive out here. Uh, but anyway, we get to this little Island and what, as we're going up slowly in this boat to the Island, Jordan takes out this 22 and he, pumps like seven or eight shots into this cave that we see. And I said, what was that all about? And he goes, well, the polar bears like to hang up there. So we need to clear them out before we go on the island. And I thought, what a world that we, we live in here. But uh, it was a great, great experience for me. I went in the middle of the jo on July and the ice had just melted like a couple of weeks before. And it was total daylight, 24 hours up there. Um, I have great admiration for Jordan Tutu, how he, hard he had to work to get noticed, to get to the NHL. And then, as you pointed out, to, you know, he climbed up the tree, he fell out of the tree, uh, and then he got back up. And through teammates and through, you know, rehabilitation programs, has totally changed his life around. You know, if anybody who follows him on social media, he, he's just uh, a role model. Um, for how he lives his life. And he's a family man. He's done great post-career. I have nothing but admiration for Jordan Tutu for his climb from uh, in, being part of the Inuit nation to um, getting to the NHL. Kevin, we really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. We'll see what the yeah, rest of the season. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Yep. That is Kevin Allen. He is the national columnist for Hockey Buzz and the Red Wings beat writer for the Detroit Hockey Now. We will come back. More of the Predators official podcast on the other side. Back here on the Predators official podcast, Darren McFarland and Kara Hammer with you on this first episode in the month of February. This has been a fun one. Emma started off things down in Florida around the All-Star game. We just had a great conversation with Kevin Allen. I kind of want to pick up right there, Kara, because there were a couple of things that jumped out at me. We're about a month away from the trading deadline. And you do wonder. So Bo Horvat was the first domino to fall. And we knew he was going to get traded out of Vancouver. Um, but where, right? Well, he goes to the New York Islanders. So he goes from the west to the east. And Kevin told us, hey, Boston was, you know, clamoring. They were trying hard to get 
Bo Horvat, their draft position was not ideal for what Vancouver was looking for. He ends up with the Islanders, who obviously will be drafting much higher. He also brought up Kane and Tays, two stalwarts in the Central Division, in the Preds Division, that they have faced a whole lot throughout their career in Chicago. It looks like they are indeed going to be on the move. The question is where, right? Where do yeah. you think they're going to go? I mean, those are two. I think, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel like Kane has, he's still playing at a really high level. Taze has, how, you know, the intangibles he brings. You know, he's a great locker room, a great presence, a captain, a leader, right? All that stuff. But I think if you're looking for production, you're probably pushing to get Kane. But I am very curious to see where they end up. Well, it'll be interesting to see too, you know, is it one of these scenarios where you, you know, Chicago may trade them, but maybe you don't want to trade them into the central division. Like you don't want to face them more. I always think of like the NFL, you know, you're trading players. Okay. Well, we don't, you know, he's in the NFC. Now we got to trade him to the AFC. So we don't see him. So we're not facing him. I think that'll be interesting to see kind of what they do. But Darren, with all these talks, I feel like we haven't really heard anything about what Nashville could be doing. I know. With the way the, the season played out right before the all-star break winning three games in a row. It felt like, you know, they really weren't in a position where we're seriously talking. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? It feels like, okay, we're just kind of going to wait and see what happens after this break. Yeah, because a lot can happen and the window, I think, I think you're right. Like David Poyle, I think is going to have to go right to almost the 11th hour to determine what they are, right? Are they are they players? Are they in this thing? Are they firmly in a playoff spot at that point a month from today or, you know, let's say three and a half weeks from now? Are they still on the outside looking in where they've been, you know, most of the season? I don't I think that's going to dictate a lot where they are as uh, you know, that the trade deadline which is at the beginning of March, where they are towards the end of this month. I think will determine a lot. And what if they are on just still on the outside looking in? Does David sell? I mean, I, they've been such they've been buyers for so long. Even you know sometimes more you know big buyers, sometimes big splashes, and then you know sometimes just a little move here, a little move there. Jeremy Lazan, you know, for example, a move like that. Yeah. So I do wonder, like, what what is David going to be thinking? in about, let's say, three weeks from now. You also wonder, too, you know, if he's kind of waiting to see and hopefully, you know, no injuries play out. Obviously, we're still without Mark Borowiecki, so you're still down a defenseman, having to move pieces in and out. But, you know, what happens if another player goes out? Carrier's out. We know Carrier's out. Carrier's out. So So now down two defensemen. I think that will, I think that will be more of the determining factor as the season progresses. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, and as you mentioned, they and we touched on it last week. I mean, it was a it was a good week. I mean, those three wins were huge, right? Against playoff teams, uh, and then you you take the break, and it's like, oh, <laughs> not maybe not a good time for a break, but nonetheless, they have had a lot of time off. And you do wonder. I wonder what John Hines, who we had on last week on the podcast what his mentality because we talked about going into the break right on with mm-hmm. this time you know how coaches we've talked about this right they dread that first game back 
So their first game back is a home game. It's against Vegas. Vegas is another team. You know, Kevin Allen said it. They're leaking oil. I thought that was a good reference. Stone is out for, you know, how how does that affect them? They, they're kind of sputtering a little bit right now. And, and also with not playing for so long, you know, how will that affect the Predators? The good news is they're at home, but I wonder if John Hines and the coaching staff will be nervous about that first game back. I think I think every team in the league will be nervous about their first game back after the break. But I know we kind of joked about the guys spending time together over this all-star break. But then on the flip side of it, you think, well, maybe it's a really good positive. You know, when eight players go on a vacation together, obviously it shows that they have a strong team core. There's, you know, there's chemistry amongst the players. So hopefully, you know, that can also carry over into the second half of the season. And we talked about the team meeting. That team meeting, Darren, how big was that team meeting right before that three-game stretch when they pulled out the, you know, those six points? And maybe that's just what they needed. Yeah. Maybe they'll have more team meetings in warm places, you know? <laughs> like, guys, let's keep doing what we've been doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's not going to get easy, right? I mean, we you look at the, you know, coming back from the break. I mean, they, they're going to they're going to hit the ice running. I mean, Vegas and then a little bit of a gap and then you go on the road to Philadelphia. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's not going to be it's going to be fun to see how all this play. and everybody the other elephant in the room is the defending Stanley Cup champs. Right? You should you know, you're sitting in color what what are they going everybody's just assuming they're going to you know, they're going to get everybody back and they're, they're just going to be a rocket ship, right? And take off. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're 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 just right now just above Nashville, three points uh, in front of the Preds. Everybody's assuming that, but you know, is it? Shouldn't we also be talking about well, what if it? It's just you know one of those they have the the Stanley Cup hangover, right? We've seen that in the past, and all these injuries and stuff. They're just not gonna completely put it together, and they're just gonna kind of sputter around this season. I don't know. I mean, I know we all know they're extremely talented, but. I'm just not willing to jump where everybody just is assuming, oh, it's about to take off. Well, it may, but I'm not willing to go there. I want to see it first. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is there's just so much parity in the league. I mean, outside of Boston being 17 points ahead right now, other than that, there's so much parity. You look at the standings. I mean, any team could go on a run at any point and start to take over. Just so I, just so you know, I said I want to see it. I don't want to see it, actually. I don't want to see it, but you know what I meant. Yeah, we know what you mean, Darren. You know, I, I was just like, you know, I'm not willing to go there. Like, you prove it, but I don't really want you to prove it. <laughs> just kidding. I don't want you to take off like a rocket ship. Well, another uh, good times. We'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, don't forget, we, we brought this up. P.K. Subban is going to get uh, – he is going to get um, – drawn blanks. He's going to get rec- – not recognized. He's going to be honored February 13th. Honor- you know, so that's coming up the day before Valentine's Day, so we can get into that. We'll have lots to get into the next episode. Good stuff, as always, for Kara Hammer, for Emma Lincoln down in Sunrise, Florida, for Kevin Allen, our special guest, for Patton Cook spinning the dials. I'm Darren McFarland. Enjoy this time. Enjoy the All-Star Weekend. Enjoy the Predators getting back on the ice at Bridgestone Arena against Vegas, and we'll certainly talk to you next week, and we'll see what it looks like on the other side. We'll look forward to seeing you then.